Hey guys, welcome back to another industry episode of the Echo Podcast. I'm Maria and I'm joined here by Archit. Hey guys. And we're a part of the CSC SOC media and careers teams. Today we're joined by Shannon Scott, a very special guest from AirWallX. Could you please introduce yourself for our listeners today? Uh, thanks, Marie. Hi, everyone. So I'm Shannon. I'm dialing in from Melbourne, uh, currently working for uh, Airwallex, which is a uh, global fintech uh, based in Melbourne with offices uh, in Shanghai and elsewhere in the world as well. Cool. Yeah. So before we jump into the more technical stuff, we just want to like get to know you a little better. So what do you do for fun outside of work? Uh, for fun, actually, most of my time is spent on my road bike, actually. Um, so, yeah, pretty obsessive cyclist, and, and it's pretty timely. I know that the men's and women's road races just took place uh, to kick off the Tokyo Olympics over the weekend. Um, so always pretty interesting to watch those. And it was actually the Rio Olympics uh, five years ago that got me into cycling and sort of the dynamics of the race and, and learning more about it. And I've been pretty obsessed ever since. Uh, I think the... Uh, the women's road race yesterday sort of lived up to its name where uh, the, the Dutch team who thought they'd won actually hadn't because there was a cyclist sort of further up the road that they hadn't even realised. And I think that gives an example of uh, how cycling is, is far more than just trying to pedal as hard as you can. It's really cool. Yeah, so uh, let's transition to university life. So at the University of Melbourne, you did a double degree of computer science and mechatronics. What led you down that path? Yeah, so actually, I think probably the, the best advice I got while I was still at high school was to, was to sort of do what you are your strongest at. And, and I definitely had a bit of a sort of math science brain and, and I found tech very interesting um, and, and, and engineering. I think actually it's sort of computer science and it was actually uh, mechatronics uh, combined degree. I thought it would be a good hybrid between the software engineering and, and some of the more robotic elements. I do actually feel like this is going back almost uh, 20 years when I started uh, university, but I, I feel like mechatronics was a bit of a scam by the um, by the mechanical engineering department to, to, to be a bit sexier and, and be a bit more modern uh, compared to doing things like fluid dynamics and, and heat transfer. Um, so there wasn't actually that much robotics in it. It was probably a lot of uh, mechanical engineering, but I suspect that course has come a long way in, in 20 years. So in general, what was your university experience like? What were your main takeaways? Yeah, well, I actually grew up in, in country Victoria. Uh, so I, I came to, to the city to, to study. And I think just like the opportunity to, um, to have access to the university life and the diversity of people was probably one of the, the biggest takeaways for me sort of socially and, and, and culturally. And I've been living in, um, in sort of major cities ever since. That opportunity was, was really wonderful. Um, in terms of the, the degree itself, I think, especially with engineering degrees, uh, what you really take away is the, is the I guess, pragmatic breaking down of various problems, which, which means you can actually take engineering into many different industries as long as you can sort of approach a problem with a, a sort of open mind and good process. Uh, you can very often sort of engineer a solution, whether it's, uh, whether it's software engineering or, or building a bridge or perhaps even in you know, a commercial context. Um, it's sort of the the tools for actually breaking down a problem were some of I think the best uh, learnings that I had in my in my engineering degree. Cool. So now I want to like move a little further into your career and talk about uh, your experience at Palantir. And so you sort of saw it grow from a smaller startup to a very large company. Could you describe what that growth was like? Yeah, Palantir was a really wonderful opportunity for me. Um, and and so. 
you know, you know, straight out of university, I actually also ended up working for just a, a seven person company. Um, so this is dating back to, I think, 2005, 2006, um, when startups weren't particularly like well understood at, at all. Um, but I still felt like sort of working with small companies was going to give me the greatest opportunity to, to grow and, and sort of be exposed to a variety of problems. Um, and then in probably my, my third uh, year outside of university, I, I met some of the, the key people at Palantir. Um, at the time, they were just a an American-only organization, where they had a, like all of their employees were based in in Palo Alto or, or New York, uh, Washington DC, um, and they were looking for a, an Australian employee to work with um, with the government here around some projects that that we had. And so the opportunity for me to be the first employee outside of the US um, and to actually still have access to a Silicon Valley tech company um, was was an, an incredible opportunity. Um, I think through that, Palantir, you know, grew relentlessly over sort of the, the 10 or so years that I was there. And, and so it kept creating opportunities as we grow. Um, you know, it was just me on the ground. I had to sort of do the business development. I had to do some of the software engineering and, and uh, the data integration for various customers. Ended up moving to other countries, including um, uh, living in Amsterdam and living in London for, for about a year each uh, to support customers there. Um, and then it grew into sort of team development. Um, how can we sort of scale uh, more globally? How can we work in also commercial fields in addition to government? And so as, you know, your, my journey over that time at Palantir evolved, the company was evolving too, and that kept creating opportunities for me. Um, and, and I think that's why I ended up, it wasn't a coincidence that I ended up spending uh, 11 years there. It was actually, it's that the company itself was evolving and I didn't need to sort of be looking around at, at different companies. Um, and, and so I think that type of opportunity where you're working for a company that is also evolving uh, is, is an incredibly fortunate experience. Yeah. So is, do you think there's like a way to know that a startup's going to be successful? And did you ever think that Palantir was going to be successful or like that successful when you started working there? Uh, I I, I did think it, it had a great um, sort of value proposition and and a, and a chance of um, of a great outcome, uh, great growth. Uh, the company actually, I, I think, exceeded my expectations um, over that period. And, and actually, I think there were also times that were pretty dark too, probably a few years in, and you're thinking, geez, I'm not sure if this company is actually going to get the momentum it needs to, to keep going. Um, but there was certainly signals along the way that it was uh, still very, had a lot of promise and opportunity. Um, when I first made that decision, there was a probability that this company was going to grow and, and have a really significant outcome in terms of my career development and, and sort of like uh, reward in that opportunity as well as a sort of equity holder in the, in the business. Um, but it was still an opportunity for me to sort of work with a Silicon Valley tech company. And I think there's a lot of great tech companies now outside of uh, Silicon Valley, but, but certainly this is sort of the epicenter of, of technology. Um, and so as an Australian uh, who wanted to continue to sort of live in Australia at the time, having access to that company was such a wonderful opportunity that even if it failed in 12 months or two years or didn't have that outcome, I was still going to get uh, this, this wonderful opportunity for, for growth and exposure to, to a tech startup. Um, and I'd be able to take that to another opportunity in future if Palantir wasn't one that worked out. Uh, it turned out that it was, and that's wonderful. But I think there's very commonly this sort of fear or misconception that if you sort of peg yourself to a startup and it doesn't work out, then you've wasted all this time. I, I don't think that's true at all. I, I think that 
you're always going to have that really interesting learning experience, including why it didn't work out and, and perhaps like where, like where to take those learnings into the next business. Um, but of course, if Valentia hadn't have worked out, I, I may have left after two years um, and, and gone somewhere else. And, and I would have sort of kept looking for that, that great opportunity. So I don't really think it's a coincidence at all. The company that was successful, I, I continued to work at for 10 years. Um, but for a company that wasn't, wasn't as successful, you might spend uh, two or three years working there and then sort of like identify a new opportunity, which, which has the sort of growth, uh, the long-term growth that you'd expect. So uh, there's not as much pressure, I think, as people people believe. Sounds like a great opportunity. And yeah. just jumping ahead a bit, so you're currently working at Airwallex, another startup. So could you give us a brief summary about the company before we dive in? Yeah, great. So um, Airwallex is, is actually was, was founded in, in Melbourne, but it's a global company. Our biggest offices are in uh, Melbourne and Shanghai. Um, and we're effectively a fintech supporting global businesses. So, so more and more as companies um, have a customer base that is global, for example, you might be a, a merchant who sells their products online, or you might have a digital company that therefore you can sell to Australian customers um, or Chinese or American. Uh, you're going to need financial systems that actually support um, that business development in many different countries. So dealing with many different currencies, um, dealing with accepting um, payments uh, from around the world you know, in those currencies, uh, making payments uh, to other countries around the world, having bank accounts to receive or to make those payments and do it quickly um, with, with um, low overhead uh, is really important for modern global businesses. Um, and so Airwallex is sort of taking a global first approach um, to, to uh, those, those financial systems um, by supporting those customers with, I guess, a, a payment platform that supports all of these countries and currencies in the one place. So what drew you to working at Airwallex? Did your experiences at Palantir play a part? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, so the first company I joined out of university was seven people. I think Palantir um, was, was 100 people when I started and, uh, and, and sort of grew to several thousand. Um, and, and Airwallex is still in the low, low or, or I guess, low hundreds when I started and it's now growing up to about 800 people globally. Um, but it's, it's the same recipe. I think Airwallex has a tremendously bright future in terms of um, building out more and more uh, technology around its financial platform. Um, I think we're going to have more offices around the world. Um, and in doing so, that's going to be a really fun ride uh, because the things we're working on today are not necessarily the things we're going to be working on in, in two years from now. Um, you know, as the company scales, there'll be all of these sort of new challenges, new learning opportunities, new people coming to the business. Uh, and I find that really exciting. When I finished up at Palantir, this was sort of late 2018, I, I did sort of spend quite a bit of time looking for the next startup opportunity. Um, I think in, in Australia, uh, there's, there's probably not as many opportunities as in the US or some other countries, but there's still some really great companies out there. Um, and what I found Airwallex to be is a company that has sort of, it's already got this global presence, it's already got revenue and some really significant uh, traction in, in the products that they were that were providing worldwide. Um, so the, the risk element, you know, is this, is this company actually, uh, you know, going to sort of be around for the next few years, I think is very low. I think the answer is absolutely. We're growing very quickly. We've already sort of reached, like gone beyond that stage where things may be a bit slow to start. But I think there's still this tremendous upside over the next five years where there's, there's so much more this company can achieve than where we are today. Um, and I think that's going to be a really exciting ride. Sounds exciting. So what are you doing in your current role as product director at Airwallex? What does a day in your life look like? 
Yeah, so um, when I joined the company, it was sort of in a product management capacity, and and uh, my roles in the past have always sort of been on, on, I guess technical business development or or software engineering, and I think uh, product is really the the intersection of those two things, um, sort of having a good understanding of the customer needs, and then also a good appreciation of of what is possible, what can and should be built on the engineering side, um, and so. While at Palantir, I sort of had this had a very sort of amorphous title that was not particularly well structured. Um, I entered Airworks in a, in a product manager capacity, um, and the truth is, I still am doing a very broad set of things. So I work with both uh, product managers uh, and engineers. There's a few key projects we're working on, like our card issuing product. So these are sort of Visa cards, which we either issue uh, virtually, digitally, or physically. Uh, so, for example, you might not have a physical card anymore. It might just go straight onto to Apple Pay, for example, and you don't need to worry about it being being sent in the mail. Um, and I actually work both with the product team, so thinking about how we're going to create sort of the user interface for that product, and also the APIs um, that allow our partner customers to sort of create uh, cards directly through a through a digital mechanism through APIs. Um, and then I'm working with the engineers too in terms of like what what the roadmap looks like. Um, how many resources we need to solve various projects, um, how, how long that's going to take, um, the architectures that we that we uh, that we put around the platform, um, and then of course because we have sort of a variety of different domains, we have sort of our team working on the on the front end and sort of the, the cohesion between how we how we offer cards and how we offer um, sort of conversions from one currency to the next, or or how we make transfers from one global bank account to another. We need good cohesion between these products, and so you're often working with different teams. To, to make sure you're creating a product that is sort of consistent and a great user experience. Um, and then there's sort of other elements of the, of the company that I think really shine through when you are, when you are a scale up and, and when you are you know, growing quickly and sort of need to move between different roles uh, is I'm also spending a lot of time on things like talent acquisition. So, you know, it's wonderful to be doing this, this podcast today and, and sort of helping build relationships with the great universities in Australia. Um, but just making sure we're thinking about, you know, do we have the right people in the business um, who who can grow with us, uh, sort of help take us to the next level and be part of that journey with us. So um, there's, there's a whole variety of different things beyond just sort of product and engineering that you get exposed to uh, working for a, uh, a company that's growing as quickly as this one. Seems particularly exciting. So, yeah, what would you say is like your favourite thing about working at LLX? I, I think it's that, well, actually, it's probably the impact on the business. So I was going to say that diversity of role, um, but it's not just the opportunity to work on those things. Um, I actually really feel like we're making really important decisions, you know, on the, on the architecture or, or, or the product design or what features we're going to go to market with or, or how we interact with some of our bigger customers. And, and those decisions, um, the way we execute on those decisions and the product we build is going to have a sort of really significant impact on where the company goes next. It's actually going to move the needle on the direction of the company. And you can imagine if you work for a very large organization, it's already got tens of thousands of staff. Um, you certainly might be working on an important project within that company, um, but you're not necessarily going to have the same uh, depth of impact on the whole on the business as a whole. Um, it'll sort of be absorbed amongst like many different initiatives that they have, perhaps thousands of different initiatives that they have running simultaneously. Um, the work I'm doing at Airwallex every day, I feel like the work that we're doing actually does have an impact on the direction of the business as a whole. And I think that's like very empowering to the way you think about work and, and why you sort of show up to your desk in the morning. 
Yeah. So looking ahead, what do you think that the future of AWOLX looks like and what sort of role do you think you'll play in that? Yeah, so I, like, I hope to play a very similar role today um, that, or, or in the future as I am today. I, I think you, you feel like you're sort of climbing a mountain. Um, it could always, sometimes the role can be can be pretty tough or, or you know, some of the decisions you make um, are, are significant. Uh, but then as you sort of reach the peak of that mountain, you sort of see the next mountain horizon and you sort of keep, you keep building. And so um, I see the role, the, 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 the purpose and the, and the growth of the role is sort of being relatively consistent, um, but you're just actually like contributing and impacting on a company that's growing underneath you. Um, so, you know, in, in two to three years from now, I expect you'll have a, a far more significant staff base uh, globally. Uh, so we have a, a large office here in Melbourne already. We're trying to build out, uh, well, we already have 20-something uh, staff in Sydney and we're, we've just launched an office there too. So we'll build out a much more significant office in Sydney. But we're also looking for engineers in Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, the Netherlands and San Francisco. Um, and we'll have offices in other regions too as we have sort of a commercial presence in those other countries. Uh, so the company's going to sort of keep expanding in um, in the the level of offerings we we have around the world. Uh, I think the different engineering products that we're going to build have sort of got a great start in our financial infrastructure. There's so many more more sort of financial services we can actually build out, or that other companies can build out on top of our platform. So if you like, we're I guess like a an Amazon Web Services, but for but for uh, as a financial platform, so providing financial services that other companies can actually leverage and build products on top of that. So we can keep building out this uh, suite of services. Um, there'll be opportunities for people to sort of work in other countries around the world. For example, I think the last 18 months has been really tough because of COVID. We've all been locked down here in Australia. There hasn't been much travel. But I, you know, the very first thing I'm going to do when I, uh, when we're allowed to travel again is to go and spend a month in Shanghai, um, and connect with the team there. And I, and I think sort of being able to work in Australia for a global startup, uh, means you get so much access to, uh, other ways of working, other cultures, um, and, and even, even working in these different cities as well. So, uh, in, in a sense, it's more of the same, you know, the relentless growth. But actually, as we grow, there are going to be new opportunities that keep allowing us to go to the next level. Um, so I think for the next uh, few years, that's going to be really exciting. Sounds exciting. Looking forward to seeing what you guys get up to. Great. <laughs> um, so now let's dive into startup culture a little more specifically. What would you say is the work-life balance like working at a startup? Yeah, so the work-life balance, uh, that, that question comes up a lot. And I think... Um, Certainly startups are a little more volatile than, uh, than conventional businesses. I think, you know, large companies sort of, they have a pretty solid understanding of, of how much velocity or, or, um, or output they can create for a given set of employees or, or, or a given team. Um, and those teams typically have like fairly structured projects that are sort of on, on quite, um, specific rails. And so they're, they're more likely to, I, I think, have a pretty, pretty steady state nature to the work that they're doing. Um, However, I think when you're a smaller company, um, you're coordinating a lot of different things. You're doing a lot of things for the first time. And I think we should actually talk about that, that sort of first time concept uh, a little later. Um, but, but that means, you know, sometimes you've got these competing priorities or, or you're sort of ramping up to a big product release or, or you know, like rolling out our cards product in a new region, for example. Um, and that means, you know, some weeks are going to be a little bit more intense. Some weeks are going to be a little bit, um, uh, less intense or a bit quieter um, as you sort of adjust for that volatility. Um, it's certainly not 
any startup's intent to just try and like work people uh, really hard or, or not be conscious of that work-life balance. We absolutely want to create a great culture that uh, has a really great work-life balance um, and that's absolutely achievable. But I think the recognition is um, we're all sort of like it's in everyone's best interest to try and think about how we can manage that volatility um, and try and create some consistency. And, and you know, that's, that's part of the excitement and the challenge as well. And so on that note about volatility, are there any specific myths or preconceptions about startups that you want to dispel? Um, yeah, that's, honestly, I don't think there's, there's that many. I think, I, I think certainly that people think hey, it's going to be a really intense ride. And um, I, I think it, to some extent it, it is. But, but for many uh, employees, that's part of the reward and, and really exciting and, and uh, something that's going to really accelerate an individual's career. Um, and, and again, I think it's on us, the employees, to create a great culture and, and be cognizant of the, the right balance. Um, I think the risk is also uh, a misconception. Um, of course, there is some risk in, in startups. Um, of course, there is uh, like potential that it, that it may not sort of work out where you'd hoped. Um, but the alternative is to work for a company that's already very established and, um, and well understood. And I think, uh, you know, my own experience at Palantir is that you know, the growth opportunity I had, the outcome that I had relative to more established company um, was far more significant um, and empowering for me and, and really accelerated my career. Um, now, of course, there was risk, but as we talked about earlier, um, if Palantir hadn't have worked out, I would have had the opportunity to still learn a lot and then move to the next opportunity that I did. And there's so many wonderful uh, companies out there, so many wonderful startups. Um, I think it's really just a matter of time, not a very long time before you sort of land on something that's really valuable to you. So I think one misconception is that you're sort of making this big bet um, that has to pay off. But in truth, it, it can be a series of small bets or you keep betting until you find the right winner. And therefore that really reduces the risk on the, on the individual and, and uh, your career path. I think one other uh, key thing and, and, and I'd like to sort of talk about is, uh, I see a lot of candidates who, who sort of go to established companies and say, hey, I wanna, I wanna learn how the, the big companies do it. And then I want to go and take that to a startup. And, and I think there's a lot of merit to that, that approach. Uh, however, I think actually one of the key things that startups do is they expose you to why those things have been put in place in the first place. So, you know, when you're a small startup, you start with uh, perhaps a small code base. You start to build out that code base. Um, you have a relatively simple sort of approach to building it. Uh, perhaps it's all running on the same set of services. Um, and then you start to realize you maybe are like, like, like working on top of one another, the build becomes very slow, uh, your releases become really slow, and you start to think about how I can better break down those um, those services so we can have better parallel uh, engineering and, and higher overall velocity. And so you start learning about build systems and why you need to sort of break into the right architectures. A lot of large companies already have that abstracted away from you. They've already gone through that experience. They've already set up a very complex build system and although you'll be told about it when you join the business, you won't really understand uh, its inner, inner sort of workings and why the company actually came up with the, the, this architecture or layout. I think by being part of the startup and being part of that experience of, of why we need to evolve the code base, why we need to make decisions uh, that, that change the way we think about the architecture, that learning, that exposure actually compounds your sort of understanding far more quickly than a large and established company. So that's another reason I think startups are incredibly valuable and 
um, often a little underappreciated by people early in their career relative to these bigger, bigger company opportunities. Yeah. So just to expand off of that, what do you think are some of the reasons, like some of the other reasons that being in a startup helps you grow a lot faster than being in a more established company? Yeah. So I think like that's, you know, that's the key one. It's that sort of understanding of the why behind uh, your, why you're doing things. Um, and then it's this sort of, you know, the, the, the landscape is growing underneath you, right? And, and so you might be working on a dedicated product today and, and you know, you maybe you're still working with me on, on card issuing, for example, and you're working on our rollout to digital wallets. Um, and, and then, you know, as our, our sort of needs expand within the team, we start to work further back down the stack and we, we start coming up with more sophisticated solutions around tokenizing the card. So this is creating a, a digital version of the card. That's what goes onto the sort of Apple Pay or Google Pay. Um, but it doesn't need to actually just exist in those formats. Once you have this digital representation, you can do so many other things with it. So now it's like, okay, we're starting to sort of build out our, our card offering. We're starting to see those things. The remit of this team is actually growing. My exposure to what that team is doing is growing and new doors are opening for me. So, okay, we've got an engineering team in Melbourne. We're gonna expand the team. We might start working with a Singapore team as well. Maybe I can go and spend some time with that team. I'm being more exposed culturally to what they're doing. Um, these opening doors that, that happen as, as time goes along, I think happen or, or open far more quickly than an established company where it's like, okay, we're going to work on this project for the next you know, year or so. And then you have to make this very meditative decision. I'm going to leave this team and I'm going to start working with that team. Uh, it goes through sort of HR and your management and you do make that transition, um, but it's far more sort of uh, methodical and slow. In startups, it's just dynamic these opportunities just open in front of you definitely but also like from the other perspective do you think like what are some of the biggest challenges in working at a startup or what should people be wary of before they looking to join one um look i think you definitely need to come into the to start us with an open mind um and and uh you know, to the extent that you're willing to work on a variety of different projects, um, and this may not just be sort of the engineering work you're doing, and, and again, depending on the candidate, perhaps you have an interest in product as well. Perhaps you have an interest in some of the sort of the, the build systems um, or the developer operations in the, in the background. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, momentum with it, with a startup where actually it may be suitable for you to sort of step into a different area because that's what the sort of emerging business need is. Uh, people who are sort of very flexible, um, confident in their ability to learn, confident in their own abilities, um, and actually sort of stepping in and figuring it out, uh, I think will have a really great experience in startups because they can sort of, as those doors open, they can step into them rather than um, sort of fixating on, on sort of one specific segment or, or one area. So um, I think the, the only important thing for people sort of entering startups is to really sort of go into it with an open mind around like, let's, let's get in and then let's sort of gravitate to things that that uh, suit both the, the sort of business need and the interests of the of the employee, sort of where they're seeing the strength. Uh, perhaps we can double down on that or perhaps we can sort of have someone gravitate into that area as the doors open. Yeah, so just on that note, what would you say startups like Airwallex are looking for in their employees? Yeah, so actually I, I, I'm particularly excited about um, uh internships and, and graduates. And I think when I look back at the company I joined, uh, when I first left university, you know, the company was only seven people. And, and 
uh, and they made a bet on me as a graduate uh, that I could you know, be the eighth employee of the business. And, and uh, despite my lack of sort of uh, real world um, uh, career experience, um, they were willing to make a bet on me. And, and the reason they were is because um, I'd spent the last five years learning and I was very open-minded about um, how to learn, how to solve new problems. I was, I guess, equipped with a, a clean slate of, I'm not sure what I'm going to learn in my career, but I am sort of going to take the tools from university and an open mind going into that, that career path. And so the people who have sort of very open minds um, have demonstrated sort of strong academic results or, or like really certain spikes in their um in their career to date, whether that's just at university or, or internships, um, it's not 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 important. But um, people who you know you know have demonstrated some some great results in the, in what they've done so far. Um, if you've demonstrated those capabilities, then then we're in, really interested in making a bet on you and and you sort of coming into the business with an open mind. Uh, let Let's go from there. So, what would you recommend to any students who might be looking to work in a startup environment but don't really know where to start or how to get there? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, startups, I, I think a lot of startups recognise the value of, um, of graduate hires and, uh, and, and they're sort of wanting to, to connect with, with candidates sort of early in their career. Um, so I, I think a lot of great startups are going to sort of present, present themselves to you, um, you know, through the, the, um, through the online advertising programs or, or, or um, the student societies, et cetera. So, um, I think keeping an eye out for the companies where, you know, they've got I, probably at a size now where they're sort of ready to connect with um, to, with candidates and, and sort of want to reach out to this market. Um, and then the ones where, you know, again, this is a startup. This is not just about like, hey, I want to work on a very specific part of the business, but do I actually, does it make sense to me where this business is going? Like, can I have a look at LinkedIn and, and, and sort of see like, like how far this, this company's grown and, and some of the work they're doing. Um, do I relate to sort of some of the work that the business is doing and, and, and sort of where they want to get to? Uh, I think, you know, you need to feel that you're, got, you're sort of bought into the business as a whole and, and sort of the, the opportunity for this impact rather than just sort of the specific details of a certain area. Um, from there, I think, you know, for, for engineers, um, for computer science uh, graduates, you know, there's, there's a, a large number of engineering opportunities and I think um, most candidates are pretty willing to dive in and, uh, um, and sort of work with, you know, an initial domain within the company and then, and then move around a bit. That's great. Um, I think there's a lot of other students too who might be in a different discipline. Um, perhaps they've done a commerce degree or something else and they're, they're sort of looking for um, entry into a startup, perhaps in a strategy um, or a product capacity. Um, we're sort of more than... Uh, open to that too and, and very interested in talking to a variety of strong candidates but I'd say put your best foot forward you know if you have a depth in engineering um, or, or a depth in uh, perhaps very strong, strong academic results in statistics or something else like um, present to us what you think is your like your strongest ability and, uh, and I think that's your best chance of sort of having this opportunity to get started with the startup and then uh, no doubt your opportunities will grow from there. Yeah, so I think now we're going to move towards like the transition between a technical role and a more management role. So could you talk a bit about like your first introduction to a management or business role? Yeah, so for me personally, um, you know, when I first left university, I, I had a very strong interest in, in business. Um, 
I think what was also interesting was at the time, this is sort of going back to 2005, 2006, uh, startups weren't particularly sexy. Um, you know, we're still coming off sort of dot-com crash in, in 2000. Uh, the iPhone was still a couple of years away. Um, and, and so there wasn't as much sort of uh, interest in the, the true engineering companies. And a lot of the strong candidates in, uh, in engineering were even going into other disciplines like management consulting, for example. Um, and I always felt like the... Uh, like the business elements of, you know, consulting and, and getting access to um, uh, to new business problems and, and new industries was really interesting. But I still also personally had this strong affinity with uh, the engineering and sort of the math side and, and building things. Um, and so for me, I sort of was fortunate to find this, this hybrid of uh, business development uh, and engineering. But I do think um, there's still a tremendous number of opportunities in sort of in business development um, at a lot of startups, you know, like we have commercial teams who focus both on small to medium businesses with a sort of direct to, to business offering. Um, we, we have a platform business, which is a bit more sophisticated with large customers where you're actually talking to them about their financial services offering and how our, our platform can support uh, their goals. Um, and so on a business side, that's actually... Um, a really interesting and, and challenging problem to work with these large large organisations. It might be a major airline, for example, or a major rideshare company, um, and actually sort of curating the right business partnership to create a great outcome. Uh, now, again, what I'd say is, and I think where I was very fortunate is I spent a lot of time in business development, but I always brought my sort of engineering roots with me. And so, um, you know, whether you're coming from business into into technology startups where coming from engineering into business um, having that sort of depth of understanding of what you're actually sort of uh, selling what you're what you're sort of partnering on with other businesses um, will create a tremendous amount of credibility in the way you're you're operating your business you, you don't need to be a uh, um, a, a hustler, if you like, or, or, or sort of you know, beat people's door down for business. I, I think what you actually want to be is is very credible um, in in your sort of depth of understanding of the product you're offering, uh, the quality of that product, knowing how it's going to satisfy that business business's needs, um, and then that's going to create the best outcomes for you and your customer or your partner company. Yeah, definitely. So do you think that your engineering roots actually helped you more in those managerial roles? And if so, in like what way? Absolutely. And I think it's that it's depth, right? Because, um, look, honestly, I think if I go back to, to Palantir, I was probably, you know, 20, 25 years old. Um, and I was actually um, trying to sell Palantir's uh, enterprise data analytics platform to government organizations in Australia. And those eight organizations are used to being sold um, products by uh, much more people, senior people in their career. Um, perhaps they're sort of people who'd historically been working for the uh, organization that they're trying to sell into. Um, so these people might be, well, you know, I've got three years of, of uh, experience, they've got 30 or 40 years of um, experience in their careers. And they're much better at it than I am at um, in, in sort of cultivating those relationships and, and sales models. But what I had was my engineering ability, my sort of depth of understanding of the product and credibility in saying, this is what our solution can actually uh, can actually do. Uh, this is how it can su support the needs of your organization. Um, if you want to connect with your technical team, if you want to talk to me about the nuts and bolts of how this would actually work, 
then I have the sort of engineering depth to be able to, uh, to share that with you. Um, and I think that comes across as very credible and therefore it sort of turns me into a fantastic salesperson um, or, or fantastic person in business development because I don't need to sort of um, talk the talk or, or sort of pretend I'm the same as these people much more experienced that I am in business, um, but actually I'm just sort of bringing a very credible approach to what we can actually offer. Um, and I'm the same person who's going to sort of help uh, you sort of see that through the technical implementation process as well. Yeah. And also in terms of like a technical role versus a management role, how would you say like these two fields differ in terms of what you're doing day to day? Yeah, look, I think actually like I enjoyed doing both uh, and I sort of pivoted parts of my career um, into the different areas over time. Um, the, you know, I've always been somebody who likes uh, sort of um, puzzles and, and engineering and numbers and it's, it's very nice to sort of write a a block of code that actually produces the outcome you intend and, and you write some tests and you know that actually that's exactly what you wanted it to do and, and therefore you've sort of achieved your goals. Um, I think on the, the business development side and the, and the management side, um, it's it's a lot more nuanced and, and, and sort of there's a lot of uh, other factors at play in terms of, let's say with, with management, you know, you're helping cultivate staff um, to sort of be the best they can be, to have ownership in their work, to really grow as an individual. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to solve that problem and um, the solution is going to depend on that individual circumstances and, and their sort of interests and uh, and their personality. And so um, there are elements of that that are, I think uh, a little bit harder for me to get my head around actually um, because it doesn't have that sort of binary answer like the engineering. Um, but when you can help sort of uh, work with the team to foster a really great community um, to make sure everybody sort of feels ownership in their work and then they're productive and that they're making an impact. Uh, that's very empowering as well. So would you ever see yourself transitioning back into a fully technical role in the future? Um, I, I'd certainly like to, um, but I, I think actually what I've, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of this um, over the past uh, few years. I've sort of taken a step back from, the, the management and the business development side and, and actually focus full time on the engineering. And, and I really enjoy it. I think it's sort of where I get into a real flow state and, and the time just flies by and, and you sort of see this, this sort of like uh, quick responses or, or sort of feedback cycle on the work you're doing and, and the outcomes. Um, however, I think just um, due to the sort of great opportunities I've had in the past and through my career and, and seeing the, the sort of uh, the leadership and the team development needs sort of emerge um, in my prior startups as, as we went along. Um, I have a lot of experiences in this regard and I think therefore I can have a greater impact on the business if I continue to sort of focus in this uh, broader perhaps business or, or more management oriented role. So I think the short answer is I'd, I'd love to be doing more engineering but I think in terms of I'm also really addicted to impact and, and at Airworks at least for now I can have the most impact um, in this sort of engineering management role. Yeah, so for someone with an engineering background looking to go down a similar path, what sort of opportunities are there and how would you recommend they go about that? Well, again, I think there's um, there's plenty of opportunities. I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, rush it. I think, again, uh, the depth of credibility that we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, your understanding and um and perhaps your engineering discipline or, or the other sort of area of study that you have, let's become a master of that uh, first and then let's make sure that we can actually uh, be a good teacher and communicator in the way that we actually um, understand 
that product that we're sort of empowering other people to learn or other people to sort of grow into. Um, and I think some of those leadership elements will start to emerge as you show that sort of that depth. Um, now, of course, from there, you can't just sort of be fixated on, on that work. You need to be thinking about um, how can I make this uh, this work that I'm doing easier to understand by others? How can I sort of start to split it out um, in, into ways that can sort of be parallelized between other employees? And, and I guess that's sort of a natural emerging part of a startup as well, right, is that you're sort of working on this project that's going to sort of grow beyond your own, own abilities. Uh, you need to sort of scale that work to many people, and therefore that's sort of naturally going to lead into uh, more of a leadership responsibility. And so provided you're working on the right things, provided the, the company gives you the right opportunity, and again, I think startups are going to do that faster than most, you're going to find those opportunities um, come forward pretty rapidly. Um, as the business scales and, and your own sort of domain expertise increases. So do you also think that it's important to have like a deep understanding of both of these domains? Uh, yes, I do. Yes. I, I think that, um, you know, I, you want to be uh, leading your team into uh, in, into battle and, and you have to be able to sort of do that in an incredible way where you actually understand what you're asking your team to do. So I always feel like my leadership style is to operate as sort of the captain of a team. I'm on the, I'm on the field with them. I'm doing the same work as them um, and I'm helping to sort of uh, encourage that team to work, work well as a team and, and, and sort of uh, interact very fluidly and, and grow. Um, I think the alternative is sort of being a, a coach on the sidelines and, and uh, maybe sort of like uh, yelling out, you know, commands, but you're not necessarily like in there with your team, um, uh, actually being part of that and having that depth of understanding. And so my personal approach is to try and uh, lead by example. Yeah. And what would you say are some things that you've learned from your management roles that you weren't really exposed to in your more technical roles? Yeah, again, I think it's sort of this, um, it's this binary nature of, of engineering or, or perhaps like the, the sort of being a fixed set of ways to do things. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's relatively easy to know when you've sort of got a system that's working. I think uh, leadership is is far more dynamic and, and I think um, a, a little bit harder to, uh, to, to, to create the perfect outcome. So it's a learning experience for me to think about uh, sort of um, how we can get the most out of uh, people, how we can create the right opportunity for them. And that's going to differ depending on uh, the nature of the individual, uh, the team itself, uh, the culture, the nature of the work. And so you're sort of stitching together many of those different things. Um, uh, th that's sort of a, a, an ongoing um, challenge. I, I think you're never necessarily going to master that. Um, but that's certainly the opportunity to have an impact on a sort of a growing team is, is very empowering. So before we sort of wrap up this podcast, what would you say to those listening in university? Like if you could give one piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah, um, look, I, I think your, your career is, is compounding, you know, whether, whether you go back to, to high school and, and sort of what you do um, in your middle school years that lead into, the, into uh, HSC, is it still called HSC? Um, and, and, and sort of like... Uh, having the sort of tools of learning that's going to get you a great academic result that's going to allow you to go into university. Um, and, and then each of those years sort of making sure that you are, um, you know, creating uh, strong results and making sure you're learning the content that makes it easier or, or allows you to learn the next sort of tiers of content. As you go into your career, the learning never stops. Um, the opportunity to keep learning uh, can't stop. 
And so make sure that you're actually thinking about a career opportunity that is going to keep creating these learning opportunities for you. So uh, for me, in the path that I've sort of gone down and that I highly recommend is that because of the way startups grow with you, um, you're going to get this opportunity to keep evolving your learning and those learning opportunities are going to keep sort of compounding and, and opening and growing very quickly. Um, so, you know, whatever uh, role you end up taking, just make sure it, it continues to create this opportunity for you to, to keep compounding in your learning, to, to keep growing. Um, and, and, uh, and then I think you'll have a wonderful career from there. Is there anything else you'd like to say around before we close off the podcast? Uh, no, look, I think this has been, been great. I, I think it's a really exciting time uh, for people um, at, at university looking for the for sort of the next major step in their in their career. Um, I, I think Airworks is a, a really fantastic opportunity because of that growth of learning, and that's certainly why I've ended up here. So uh, it's really great to have been able to take part. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Shannon, for taking the time to talk with us. Definitely got a lot of valuable insight from our conversation. And also a big thanks to our listeners. It's important for us to make content you're interested in. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Echo Podcast and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye for now.